birth is the experience of motherhood just slammed into one moment, you know, one experience. And all of the lessons that we learn in birth, wow, they really do impact our experience of motherhood. Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Maria. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy and through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the answers to the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. And welcome to the show. Hi, Maria. Hey, Shelly. How are you? I'm great. How are you? You had Morgan in the hospital, right? I did. Was it a birth center or like a typical hospital? Yes. They tried to make it seem like more of a birth center, but it was very hospital. Mm-hmm. Or I should say very clinical, probably a better, better term. Were they midwives or? I did have midwives, actually. The team of midwives, I think there was six or seven of them. Mm-hmm. And I went through the entire rotation. That is how long my labor was. <laughs> Aw, good thing Morgan's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> And the final midwife who delivered me was actually my prenatal midwife. And the irony of it being was that she told me, you know, she was going to be away on vacation during my due period Mm -hmm. and she probably wasn't going to deliver me. And I made a joke in the throes of Pitocin pain. And I said, I waited for you. (laughs) I'm sure she felt very special. (laughs) Yeah, it was my attempt at humor in in a very unpleasant place. And one hospital birth and two home births. I really wanted to. And that. Well, I think it's harder to make that decision when it's your first baby, too. It is because they scare you with so many things. And if you're not Mm -hmm. educated, it's very scary. Yeah. But after experiencing both, which I'm never going to, but if I happen to have another baby again, like I would not give birth in a hospital unless there was a legit medical need. 100%. Mm-hmm. I would not do it. And I think it depends on like the mid, you know, I was very comfortable and felt very safe with my midwife. So, right. And yeah, the experience of your midwife can make a huge difference. But I will say, I do understand why some people prefer to go to a hospital for birth. Oh, sure. Yeah. Home birth is definitely not for everybody. No. You, know, you have a high risk labor and delivery. And even if you're not high risk, even if it just makes you feel better mm-hmm. to deliver in a hospital, that is a completely valid reason. Because we all know as birth workers that feeling unsafe during labor will make it stall. Mm-hmm. 100%. That is what we're talking about today on this episode is home birth. Oh, very exciting. With Caitlin from the Happy Home Birth Podcast. But first, I saw this interesting article. It said scientists have discovered the protein that kickstarts milk production after breastfeeding has paused. So do you remember when you, well, maybe you didn't experience this because like you have better boobs than me. But do you remember (laughs) when like when I weaned, do you remember how like deflated and flat your breasts get and it's temporary but that in I think it's involution it's what they call it when all the breast making tissue kind of shrinks down and for a second like you're like oh my gosh what happened to my boobs and then they kind of bounce back a little bit but do you remember that no because honestly my boobs have always been a little deflated (laughs) it's just the way my boobs are so I didn't really notice I think actually the perkiest they ever have been was during pregnancy so this article says The breast winds down production of milk and undergoes a process of shrinkage, which is what we call involution, to return to inactivity. But they figured out that there is a protein that if you try to relactate or the baby or you change your mind about weaning or something, that protein is what kickstarts your milk production back up. Interesting. Does it have to be within like a certain time frame? I don't think so. Like relactating within six months or something like that of weaning? The only thing they say is, Remarkably, some mammals have a really long reversible phase. For example, the Cape fur seal, which goes on long offshore foraging trips for up to 28 days, can still relactate when suckling resumes ashore. So they're looking at aquatic mammals, not human mammals. Well, they're looking at mammals in general. That was just... Well, I will say that I was able to express for a year after I weaned. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I think it was like 18 months I could still hand express 
a drop. Like drops. Yeah. Yeah. I think it depends on like how your body responds. Yeah. Sure. I was also one of those people that didn't get my period back until I like fully weaned. So for like 18 months, I didn't have my period, which was really nice. I think came back around six months. I feel so sad for the moms who get it back at like eight weeks. (laughs) Like all I had that's a stink. Barely got any time away. So this protein is called RAC1. I thought that was kind of cool. That's interesting. I wonder what this research would mean for parents who do want to relactate or induce lactation. I guess more research is needed. Yeah. Do they say where the protein is manufactured? Is it in the pituitary? It doesn't say. The team found that the RAC1 protein, which turns milk secreting cells into cannibalistic cell eaters to clear up the dead cells and remove surplus milk, also kickstarts milk production after temporary pauses. Our bodies are so cool. So weird. So cool. (laughs) So cool and so weird. Yeah. That's a very aggressive language they're using there. But it doesn't sound like that applies to maybe somebody that is relactating because of adoption or something of that nature, or like a same sex couple that one of them might be trying to lactate. Like it, mm-hmm. it sounds like, again, like the language they're using sounds like if you stopped briefly for like a few weeks or maybe a, even a month or so, mm-hmm. then that's when that protein kicks in. I think this is just like preliminary findings and they definitely need to do more research to see exactly how this protein works and what it can do. Yeah. But yeah. That'll be interesting. Yeah. Bodies are weird. All right. Let's do our question of the week. So this week's question was submitted through Instagram. The question is having trouble breastfeeding when my baby has a cold and is really congested and now he's refusing to eat. Oh, yeah, that's tough. I mean, I frankly don't want to eat when I'm super congested. Right, yeah. I think this is one of the reasons why some babies can lose weight when they're sick. Yeah. Because they're just not great eaters. It's the same as when you vomit a lot, right? When you have a stomach bug and you vomit a lot, like you lose a little weight. Like think of it in these terms, right? Um, First of all, dear question submitter, totally normal for your baby to not breastfeed well when they have a cold. Um, lots of things are going on and their body has to conserve energy to fight off this sickness and can't really expend that energy on digestion right at that moment. Mm-hmm. So perfectly normal thing. And I know it's super concerning. Secondly, you have to think of in terms of like when you're sick as an adult, and this is true for babies as well, and you're producing a lot of mucus, that does not make you think, you know, I should really eat something right now. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make your body feel like it wants to eat. Like you don't want to really do anything. You barely, most of us barely drink enough water when we're feeling sick like that. So imagine like a little baby. They're also swallowing all this mucus. Mm-hmm. They can't breathe at the breast the way they're supposed to because their nose is completely stuffed up. Right. They're often like on and off, on and off, yeah. on and off. Right. So that yeah, they jump on. They try to get a few sips and then they pop off because they can't breathe and they jump back on again. And they're probably, when they're nursing, nursing more for thirst. Honestly, Mm -hmm. those feeding sessions might be shorter and more frequent. Yeah, I always think that's a good time if it's feasible for you as a family. It's not for every family, but if you could just spend the day in bed with baby, try like a koala hold or a more upright position to help with the congestion, humidifier, humidifier, those booger suckers. (laughs) Yeah, but be careful with those. Too much of that can just make it worse. Yeah. Or you just like run the shower really hot and then yeah, go sit ahead in the bathroom. Yeah. Or even Kobe. I mean, honestly, right? Mm-hmm. Get in a Kobe bath with some Epsom salts. That's going to help things out. Mm-hmm. And just kind of wait it out. Yeah, which is such a hard thing to tell new parents. I get that. Mm-hmm. So hard to tell them. You just have to wait it out. Just keep trying. Just keep offering. Just do your best. Because I remember being that parent and I remember feeling so helpless for this little tiny baby that you couldn't really help them and you did just have to wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such a helpless feeling. Well, good luck to the person who submitted the question. Our hearts are with you. It's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> Next up, we will be speaking with Caitlin from Happy Home Birth. 
So those of you who know me well know that I have had home birth. So my first was born in the hospital, but my next two were born at home. And I am a huge fan of home birth. It really worked well for me if I were to ever get pregnant again, barring any medical conditions or situations that would require me to be in the hospital, I would definitely prefer home birth. I know that home birth isn't for everyone, but it is an option that a lot of families are not even aware of. And so that's why I'm really excited today to be talking about home birth with Caitlin Fusco from the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Caitlin Fusco is a home birth mother, mentor, and childbirth educator, as well as an experienced home birth attendant. She's seen birth from many angles, literally, and knows the impact this experience can have on you, your baby, and your entrance into motherhood for the first, second, or 15th time. Caitlin's goal through her podcasts, courses, and mentorships is to encourage mothers to step into the depths of who they are and ready themselves for the mother they'll be meeting on the other side. Her greatest desire is to make birth sacred again. Hi, Caitlin. How are you? Shelly, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so glad to talk to you. Yeah, and this is one of those topics I've had home births myself, so I could go on for like days, but we won't. <laughs> There's potential there. Our best. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Caitlin Fusco. For those of you who don't know me, I am the host of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. So believe it or not, I'm really into home birth. I started this journey, as many do, I believe, on accident. I remember I was graduating from college and a mentor of mine in my field, which was totally unrelated to birth, told me that she had her baby in in a birth center, like in a birth tub. And I was like, what? Like, you can do that? And how weird, Shelly, like to go to the age of graduating college and not realizing like, oh, like you know, your body, it's really actually pretty proficient at this. And it opened my eyes, shocked me, and I became so fascinated. I ended up becoming a student midwife with a local midwife. So I was apprenticing, became pregnant myself. So I was an apprentice and a pregnant mother at the same time. So got to like experience that at the same time. Uh, Gave birth to my first child at home, continued on with midwifery for a little bit. But then once she hit toddlerhood, she is like a force to be reckoned with in the best way. And I was just like, you know what? This kid is going to need me at home. Like I can't be on call right now. So came home and not too much longer after that did I have this like ache to be working with mothers again, working in the home birth sphere. So that's how the Happy Home Birth podcast was created. I became pregnant with my second daughter around that same time. So that was, gosh, it's been four years almost. No, it's been over four years. Excuse me. That was 2019. So it's been over four years. Um, had my second daughter and we've just flown from there. I focus on childbirth education for for home birth mothers specifically because there's not a lot out there. Um, And my biggest focus is not just having a home birth. You know, that's wonderful. It's a beautiful thing. But acknowledging that the birthing process is a rite of passage and all of the depth that encompasses and really preparing for motherhood in a deeper, more foundational way. I love that. I love that. And it is more, you know, how can you best prepare based on who you are as a person and where you feel safe giving birth and how you feel safe giving birth. So I like that you're obviously like very much into home birth, but you're not out to like put people in little boxes. Like everyone should have a home birth, right? Because some people are like that. Like everyone should have a home birth. And I don't think that that's true. No, I feel like on any side of any issue, we can become so dogmatic that it's like home birth or bust. And it's like, no, thank goodness for the hospital system too. Like Mm -hmm. there are some complications. And if I had those, guess what? I am so excited that I have a hospital that I can go to. So yeah, no, it's definitely... For me, it's more about acknowledging that, wow, my body was created to do this. And the vast majority of times, it's going to do it really well if left untouched. But if I need something else, well, what an amazing gift to live in a day and age where I can go get the support that I need elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Yes. I had two home births myself. And the reasons why I felt so comfortable with my midwife was because I knew she would not hesitate to transfer to the hospital if there was any indication that something wasn't quite right or not progressing the way that it should progress. And we lived fairly close to the hospital was another 
um, factor that went into my decision making. But if you are having a home birth, I think that part is so important, like being able to trust your birth worker team, knowing that they have your best interest at heart and your baby's best interest at heart and not just advocating for home birth at heart, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. Oh, that so makes sense. And, and you know, I think that that's something fascinating that we consider across the board is the importance of our care provider and trusting that our care provider does have our best interest at heart. It's so important to do that at home. It's also so important to do that in the hospital or in any other birth setting that we are going to be doing this massive, amazing thing. But sometimes I do feel like that gets overlooked. And with the hospital system, you know, a lot of times we have these larger groups of doctors working together and getting to know every single one that can pose a difficulty. But taking that belief into wherever we choose to give birth of, hey, who surrounds me is really important. And I want to do my due diligence to make sure that I'm being supported appropriately and they have my best interest at heart. Right, right. And I think that's important to point out is there's a huge difference between the midwifery model of care and the care that you would receive from an OB in a hospital. Because like you said, like maybe you get 15 minutes, an appointment with your OB and if they check everything and any questions, no, okay, well, see you again next appointment. Whereas with my midwife, you know, she would come to my house for my prenatal appointments and she would stay for like a good hour and talk to my kids and give my kids a little stethoscope, let my kids listen to the fetal heart rate. Like the whole family was involved, first of all, but I got to know her on a really personal level and not just like, oh yeah, I saw you for 15 minutes. And then in terms of like the rest of the birth team, when you're birthing in a hospital, you know, typically OBs don't even let you interview them anymore. It's either like you just, you get a referral and you sign on with them and you definitely you know, have trouble meeting the other OBs, like you said, in large practices, but also the nurses. Oh, yeah. You're walking in the hospital to give birth. You have no idea who these nurses are. You've never met them before. You don't know if they're going to support your goals. And that can be a little tricky too, because you're trying to, even unconsciously, you're not probably aware of it, but you're trying to determine in a very vulnerable state, is this person safe mm-hmm. to be around right now? Because when you're in labor, your your body's going to pick up on every like, oh, it, do we not feel safe? Mm-hmm. Is that going to stall the labor? And whereas with my midwife, she brought the home birth attendants over to my house towards the end of my pregnancy so that we just ate food together. We just hung out and I got to know them. So when they showed up to be at my birth, I already had an established relationship with them and it felt very safe. Mm, I love that. And I do feel like for me, one of the draws to the home birth experience is the humanity of the process. Like it brings the humanity of giving birth back. You know, like you said, this is so communal. My birth team's coming over and having a meal with me. Like we're celebrating together. We're getting to know one another. How much more comfortable can you be with those people in this most vulnerable experience of I mean, you are literally opening the most you could ever open. You are so vulnerable at that moment. How much easier to do that when we have these established, trusting relationships versus not having that, you know, that adds such a level of, it's just another layer that we have to work through when we're already doing some really intense work by, (laughs) you know, producing life. Mm -hmm. Right. 100%. And even after the birth, you know, you're in the hospital, baby's delivered, OB stays while the placenta is delivered, maybe stitches you up if you need it. And then, okay, congratulations. Bye. I'll check in with you tomorrow for a few minutes in the hospital. Whereas after my birth, my midwife stuck around. I have this one picture. It was after the birth of my son. And I'm like, have him latched. My hands are holding him. And my midwife is spoon feeding me soup. Oh, And it's no OB is going to do that for their patient in the hospital. Mm. So it's so much more than I'm just here to deliver your baby. And so much more about I'm here to help you transition into parenthood. Yes. Yes. I'm here for you. I'm here for you in this. And so much of that, I think what's so beautiful about the midwives model and the way that midwives the gold standard, at least. I'm not saying every midwife is like this, but that hands-off approach that I am here as a gatekeeper. I'm here to protect your safety and your baby's safety, but I'm not doing this. Like This is your thing, and I'm here to hold space for you while you do something magnificent. I've heard a midwife say before, you know, if 
And oftentimes we do feel at the end of our birth, like, oh my gosh, I couldn't have done this without you. You were so amazing. Thank you, my wonderful midwife. But at the same time, it's Dr. Rachel Reed. She's just a wealth of knowledge. But she says, if a mom feels that way after her birth, I feel like, oh no, like I was too involved. I want her to feel like, whoa, I just did this amazing thing. Can you believe what I did? I did this all by myself. Mm -hmm. How special to support mothers in that way because I always say birth is a microcosm of the macrocosm. Birth is the experience of motherhood just slammed into one moment, you know, one experience. And all of the lessons that we learn in birth, wow, they really do impact our experience of motherhood. Mm -hmm. So to step into motherhood through that birthing experience, feeling so confident and so empowered and courageous, how much easier to walk into motherhood, to re-enter motherhood, if it's your second, third, or 15th baby, feeling that level of confidence and belief in what you were designed to do. Mm -hmm. Right. It's I delivered my baby. I gave birth to my Mm -hmm. baby, whereas in the hospital. And I hear this a lot. I mean, I hear birth stories all the time because I work as a lactation consultant too with families who just gave birth. Oh, yeah. It's always quite common for... And I experienced this too in my pregnancy when I would tell people that I was having home birth. Wow, when I had my baby, thank goodness we were in the hospital because this the cord was wrapped around the baby's neck. The doctor saved the baby's life. And and it's just even in the language Mm -hmm. that providers in the hospital use, that the, the parents then use as well versus language that midwives use. Yes. Um, Midwives typically say like, I catch the baby Mm -hmm. or I attend the birth where OBs are. I delivered your baby. I delivered your baby (laughs) as if they did all the work. There was a great birth story that I read in, I forget which book it was, but it was about, it was a first time mom who was kind of crouched in the hospital, the corner of the hospital room. And she was squatting to push. And this new doctor comes in, young doctor, and he starts to kind of panic because he's like, well, you you need to get her on bed. And the doula who was there was like, I don't think she's going to be getting on the bed, doctor. And he was like, well, I've never delivered a baby in this position. And the doula was just like, well, neither has she. (laughs) And then the doctor (laughs) was like, okay, and put on his gloves, caught the baby. Like he all he did was catch the baby, (laughs) really keep it from falling on the floor. But it's just even as they go through their training, it's more about them, 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 what they need to do instead of just sit back, sit back and watch. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think with the midwives, they get more of that training. Yes. It so deeply relates to how are we viewing birth? Like, are we viewing birth as a pathology or are we viewing it as a normal physiological event? If we're viewing it as a pathology, as that's what Western medicine is, right? Like we pathologize and then we're going to figure out a treatment plan and we're going to fix it and we're going to do surgery or we're going to, you know, put you on this or that. And that's fine. But birth, is birth a pathology or is it a normal physiological event? And so if we're pathologizing it, then yes, we need to take action constantly because that's what you do. Mm -hmm. We need to intervene. We have to, we must for the safety. If it's a normal physiological event, well, then we just sit back and watch it, right? (laughs) And we're there if something unfolds and it needs support, sure. But to automatically assume, well, I must do things. Well, like, Mm -hmm. no, that's, and that's why a lot of midwives say, you know, I just sit on my hands. Like I I just sit on my hands and Mm -hmm. wait and watch. Yeah. I threw out half my labor. I like, I didn't really realize my midwife was there because she just sat in the corner and was so quiet. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And I think, and now in an OB's, they're not evil people or anything. They're just yeah. working in a broken system. Yeah. But one of the things that I would explain to my doula clients when I was a doula was OBs are surgeons, right? They're surgeons. They are trained surgeons. And it, what's that saying? Like everything looks like a nail to a hammer, right? <laughs> <laughs> so if you are a trained surgeon and you've been trained in doing surgery for complicated births, but most of the time they go through their entire training without even seeing a normal quote unquote mm-hmm. birth, of course, you're going to see problems where they might not even exist. And then you have the pressure of the insurance companies who tell OBs, like, you will never get sued for the C-section that you did, mm-hmm. right? You will only get sued for the C-section you didn't do. So they're quick to jump into surgery and other interventions to protect their butt, basically. It's what yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, and how it, it is, it's, it's such an odd system because they're not even seeing what birth would look like. It's kind of like, 
well, what would happen if we didn't touch it? Like, hmm, that's not oftentimes seen. So they don't have any schema for what that could look like. The normal birthing process in the hospital is usually like, okay, well, maybe even an induction at 39 weeks, but we're going to get induced. We're going to start these medications. So automatically, this is not a physiological birth. This is a birth with intervention. So that has its own complications. And we then we have the cascade of interventions that everyone talks about. And so yeah, they haven't even seen this beautiful process unfold and, and haven't realized, oh, I actually, many times I wouldn't have to do anything if, if I just stood back and watched. Absolutely. And we haven't always, birth has not always looked like it does now in this country. Can you go a little bit through like the history of home birth versus hospital birth in the U.S.? Yeah. I mean, if we look back just a century and a half ago, we were all giving birth at home. That's what it was. That's what was happening. And then with the rise of the hospital system, doctors realized like, wait a minute, like this is this is something we could get our hands on. We could get involved. And there actually was a massive campaign against midwives, a fear campaign of saying like, these are uneducated people, like they're immigrants, they're no good. And there are pictures, I think it's in the documentary of the business of being born. They show some of the newspaper clippings. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is so yucky. Like, I can't believe that this is like what was being touted, but it was eaten up. And it was this idea of, oh, you can leave your home and go to this fancy, safe place called the hospital. Mm -hmm. Never mind the fact that, oh my word, the rates of complications at home versus the hospital, especially in those first decades, was abhorrent. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of childbed fever? Oh, <laughs> it's, it's that story good. horrifies me every time. And I forget the name of the doctor who was like trying to scream from the rooftop saying it's because yes. of germs. Mm -hmm. Because, well, yes. I'll let you tell it. So what's the story with childbed fever and why some women were dying in the hospital? Well, yeah, the, basically the hand washing wasn't a thing. So we're going from place to place, touching dead bodies, touch it, just we're spreading all of these things from person to person. And so then this doctor's walking into the room after he's done who knows what before, and then is inserting his hand into a woman. Yeah. Like it, it's not going to go well like mm -hmm. that. So that is so it's clear. Like if you were to look back statistically, this was not an improvement, but it was touted as an improvement. And so everybody believed, well, it's an improvement. It's better than those yucky midwives I saw a clipping of. Mm -hmm. And so luckily, of course, over time, things have <laughs> improved. You know, we do wash our hands and medical machinery, whatever, all of those things, they have improved. Thank, thank goodness. But it doesn't negate the fact that there was a system that had worked from a century ago until the beginning of time. It was going like, we're here, right? Like we survived as a species. We've done pretty well. Like we're, we're looking pretty good. That was working and then changing it to this medical model. And I think that one of the saddest aspects about that is just what we were referencing earlier, this idea of, well, who did it? Like whose birth was this? Like, did I do it or did I have to outsource and have somebody else do this for me? And I feel like that's kind of what happens in motherhood at this point of us, we as a society, mothers in general, oftentimes may feel like, oh, well, I'm not qualified to make that decision. I need to ask my pediatrician. I need to ask all of these other people's opinions of what I should be doing versus, you know what? I'm going to listen to my intuition. I'm going to do what I feel is right for my family, for my baby. And not to say that it's not good to ask people's opinions, but this sense of I'm not enough, I don't know what to do, I need somebody else to make this decision for me. Well, are we not taught that exactly in the hospital, traditional mainstream birth setting of you can't do this, somebody needs to come in and save you. Somebody needs to give you these medications. Somebody needs to give you this surgery across the board. You cannot do it alone. Mm. And if you do choose to, if you choose to birth out of, outside of the system, well, you're a crazy person, right? Like how, I'm just curious, Shelly, did you ever have anybody in your pregnancy who thought you were insane for giving birth at home? You were dangerous. You were risking your baby's life or your life. That's common, right? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I would say not too many said anything to my face because they knew better at that point. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't think my in-laws at the time were very thrilled, but, and they, is it because you want a home environment because you can go to birth center? And I was like, no, it's just what I want to do. And I also didn't feel the need at the time to have to explain myself to anyone. Right. But I just remember, yeah, with my son, he was born at home and our neighbor next door who was an ER nurse. So I had him and the next day my other kids are playing out in the yard and she's out there and they're yelling like, my mom had the baby. And she's like, oh, you're going to go visit her today. And they're like, no, she's home. She had the baby at home. And she looked at my kids. She's like, she can't do that. (laughs) My mom was out there with my kids. And my mom just started laughing because like, well, she did. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) But I do feel like even my husband at the time when I, because he came home and I was measuring the living room and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just seeing if a birth pool will fit in here. And that's how he found out we are having a home birth. (laughs) (laughs) So I hadn't really included him on the decision-making process because my mindset, and that doesn't work for every family. That's not something I suggest to every couple, but my mindset was, it's my body. And so I should be able to choose. And he was definitely nervous. He wasn't against the idea, but he's like, well, what if this happens? And when we did our first prenatal with the midwife and she was asking all the medical questions and she was showing all the equipment that she brings, the oxygen tank and everything. And he was just kind of like, oh, he's like, I guess I had this image in my mind that they show up with some incense and a stick to bite on. And that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no, they, they come with a lot. <laughs> on a horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for us, I was low risk pregnancy. I already had a baby. So we fit like the qualifications, quote unquote, of being able to give birth at home. And not everybody does. And that's okay too. Some people need to give birth in the hospital. Some people are more high risk and they need that extra medical support. And that's great. We're grateful that we live in a part of the world where we have access to that. Mm -hmm. But it's sad that most families don't even know they have a choice. Exactly. And in some states they don't, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because home birth can look different wherever you are in the world. And even in the the U.S., it can vary from state to state. For sure. The first thing that I always like to remind everyone is that it's not illegal for you to give birth at home anywhere. You can. You can give birth at home anywhere. There's no law against that. The frustrating thing is that in different states, I know like Nebraska is one of them, North Carolina is one of them, midwifery. And supporting mothers in that way has been criminalized. (laughs) You know, it's illegal to support a mother. And so that puts us in a really, it can put us in a complicated place of like, okay, well, what do I do? Do I give birth on my own with no assistance? Do I find a midwife who's working like underground? What are my resources? What are my options? And luckily, that's the way of the world. Like, When there's a need, there's something to supply for that need. And there are midwives in all of those states that are professional midwives. They've done all of the training. They've done all of the things and they can support you. But unfortunately, the burden is on them because then there can be legal ramifications to to them, like should they get caught or fined or whatever. It's really sad and it's really frustrating. And and it's hard too, because I also am of the mindset of like, well, I don't really want, like, it's annoying to me that there has to be all of the legal in any of it. Because the regulations sometimes of the states that are allowing home birth, their regulations are so strict that it's like, well, that's not what I want either. You know, that's frustrating. I want to be able to make an autonomous decision for myself. And, and be able to do what it is that I feel is right. So, but it is true that there are states, depending on where you are, maybe CPMs are not allowed, but certified nurse midwives are. So CPM is certified professional. A nurse midwife could practice. Or in some states, like in South Carolina, for a while, certified nurse midwives couldn't attend home births. It's like, what? Like, you know, it, some of the stuff just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can go look up your state's regulations and laws and what they do and do not allow. And then you can decide from that point, okay, what does this mean for me? What am I going to do? I always like to remind mothers, you always have a choice. You can choose whatever you want. Is it going to be the easiest decision? Maybe not. It may be more difficult to give birth at home in Nebraska than it is for me here in South Carolina, but we can still take ownership of our experiences Mm -hmm. and decide what's best for us. Yeah. 
You made a couple of really good points there. Mm-hmm. I think first, it's not only the state laws and stuff too, but like insurance company policies, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're a yes. CNM and you're practicing in a state where you can attend home births, it is by state legal for you to attend home births, but your liability insurance comes and says, well, we don't cover you if you do home birth. Right. Then as the provider, you're kind of stuck in a hard place. We're all taught you should have liability insurance and I have liability insurance. My interns do. They're required to. So you get kind of stuck in a hard place where, okay, I can continue to practice and put myself at risk mm-hmm. or I just can't do home birth. Can't offer it. So there's it's so many so things that come into play. Yeah. And I think what you were saying about, it's it's almost like an extension of that anti-midwife propaganda that you were talking about yeah. earlier where mm-hmm. they put out all those ads and a lot of them are really racist too. Mm-hmm. Really yeah. racist ads. Extremely. And that has kind of... It's it's the patriarchy. It's basically trying to say that. I think that that played like you were right, like profits and making money off of birth. Um, the medical community saw an opportunity there, but I also think part of it was traditionally it was women in the community who are attending these births, and men didn't like that. They didn't like that these women had this quote unquote power. And this skill that they could not be a part of. And so they convinced women that they would be safer giving birth at home. And unfortunately, they weren't. Right. But I think it's just like another extension of that. Like, let's Mm -hmm. just make it as difficult as possible for you to make choices about your own body, make choices about where you want to give birth. We're going to spread lies and misinformation about the safety of home birth so that everyone does think you're crazy when you do say, I'm going to have a home birth. Yeah. And it just creates like really tricky, difficult situations. Absolutely. Dr. Rachel Reed, I already mentioned her once, but she really goes very deeply into that in her book, Reclaiming Childbirth as a Rite of Passage. I love that book. Highly recommend that to anybody who's curious to learn more about that and just kind of like, what was birth like before? And then what happened? That's a great resource. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. What about other countries? Because we've been specifically talking about the U.S. And within the U.S. itself, like we said, like a high variety of rules and regulations around home birth. Mm-hmm. I think people are really surprised to find out that it is actually the norm mm-hmm. in other countries. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Gosh, you know, what's crazy is just how different birth is from country to country. I have worked with mothers who are in, I'm working with a mom right now who's in South Africa. And so like whenever we have our coaching calls, we hear her perspective and and things are just so different. Like even just the way they screen for gestational diabetes, the way that they, they don't really, <laughs> you know, they don't screen in the same ways. Now, granted, they have an 80% cesarean section rate. So it's like, oh, <laughs> not what we want. But just around the world, wow, birth, it just varies so much. But if we look at a country like the Netherlands, almost everybody's giving birth at home there. It's the norm. This is so common. It's like the hospital, like, well, yeah, I mean, you could go there like if if there's a complication. But what I think, what I find so fascinating about that too is if you look at the satisfaction rates, I found this study a few years ago, but there was a birth satisfaction rate study And in the Netherlands, they have the highest satisfaction rate of birth. (laughs) Like they are very satisfied with their birthing experience. And what are they doing over there? Oh, they're giving birth at home. Like they're having a physiological birth experience. So yeah, I think that that's really fascinating. And of course, you know, it varies from country to country, the percentages of mothers that are giving birth at home, assisted with midwives. But we are one of the, when you look at like mortality rates for such a developed country, the United States is, you know, Dismal. Yeah. It's really not fun to look at that. It's like, <clears throat> wait, where? Especially if you're a person of color. Right. Like Stephen, huh? Yeah. It's crazy. And and it's just kind of, it's shocking because we just believe we've kind of been, and really like it starts from the very beginning of like, oh, you've got to come to the hospital. It's safer. It's safer. It's safer. If you keep hearing it's safer, it's safer, it's safer, it's safer. What are you going to believe? Like, finally, it's like, oh, well, but the hospital is safer. Like, it just like kind of naturally comes out. I think it's called brainwashing. Anyway, (laughs) but but, like we are under the assumption, well, the hospital is the gold standard. It's safer. Like you are safe there. Nothing Mm -hmm. bad can happen to you if you are in a hospital. Nothing bad ever happens in a hospital. Nobody gets hurt. That's not true. Like, that's just not true. 
It's just that it's hidden better there. Nobody's pointing a finger at you if something happens to you while you were at the hospital. But boy, will they sure say something if something happens when you give birth at home, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I see that. I worked in the hospital for 10 years in the NICU and on the postpartum floor. And I worked in the local hospital that was mm. considered friendly towards home birth transfers, right? Like if a midwife is going to transfer someone to the hospital because something's not right, mm. that's the hospital they go to. And then generally, they do treat the parents respectfully to their face, right? And I think that's the difference between that hospital and other hospitals. I think other hospitals just say it to the uh. parents' face. But this hospital, at least the parents don't know what's going on in the break room. And they just totally rip the families apart. And it's especially if the baby's <laughs> in the NICU. And yeah. I always try to say, listen, complications happen here too. This is a 53-bed NICU. And some of the babies are up here because something bad happened to the birth. For every transfer that you see, how many are just fine? You only see the quote-unquote bad ones, if that makes sense. I don't see babies who breastfeed well. No one comes and sees me because things are going well with breastfeeding. I'm a lactation consultant, right? People only come and see me if things are bad. So if I'm looking at it from that perspective, I could sit here and think, Babies don't know how to breastfeed. Everywhere babies are starving. Every woman has cracked and bleeding nipples. So it's the same thing. You see a home birth transfer come in and sometimes that needs to happen, but you're only seeing those. You're not seeing a much larger percentage of ones that go just fine. And you're not considering the fact that this midwife acted responsibly and transferred exactly. dyad as soon as there was any sign of trouble. Instead, you're just ripping apart this family for their choices yep. without fully understanding their choices at all. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. It's such a good point. You're not seeing the other side of this. You are only seeing when something by nature didn't go according to the plan. So it's not a fair assessment. Right. And I just want to be clear again, and I'm sure you feel the same way, because there are parts of the world or even in the US where there's like a desert of care where there's nowhere to transfer to. If something goes wrong, it just goes wrong. And so we are, at least oh, I am yeah. forever grateful that we live in a place where we have the hospitals that we can transfer to. So I don't think that, I don't consider myself anti-hospital or anti-hospital birth. It's just, it's a broken system and we're trying to do our best in the broken mm -mm. system. Was it the Netherlands? I vaguely remember, I think it was the Netherlands or maybe it was Denmark, where the queen or the princess gave birth at home. And it was the cover of the newspaper where she was just laying in her oh. bed, nursing her baby. And it was this total normal thing. I think it was the Netherlands because that was the first hook in my brain. Oh, this is a queen. Yeah. This is royalty. And she's giving birth at home. And everybody's just, yeah, yeah of course. If the first lady in the U.S. was to give birth, they would have her in a high-risk hospital. The NICU team there would not, you know what I mean? And it's just a different cultural perspective and shift. Absolutely. I just think it's so neat to think in that culture, families grow up not being afraid. Until I started doing my own research, until I started attending home births and seeing, oh, this is safe. This is the way that birth goes. It's beautiful. I had this thought in my mind of this is really dangerous. And of course, not to negate from the fact that birth is a part of life. And so that mere fact means that it also can end poorly. Things don't always go well wherever we are because that's what could happen when I walk out of my door today. Right. And we're not trivializing that. We're really not. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But this idea of being scared of my body. I grew up thinking I was going to have to have C-sections. My mom had three C-sections. Her body, quote, couldn't do it. That means my body won't be able to do it. So I might as well just accept the fact that I'm going to have C-sections. And if they make me attempt labor, I'm going to be really scared because that's going to hurt and I'm not going to know what to do. And it's just all of this victimhood that doesn't have to be there. It doesn't have to be the way that we see it. When we can realize that, whoa, actually, I get to teach my daughters that birth is beautiful and that it's normal. And hey, come be a part of this. I want you to see it if you want. I just think that that's so special. And to think that's what we always had. We always were learning about birth from our mothers and sisters and cousins and aunts, seeing them give birth before we did it. And now home birth does seem to be kind of back on the rise. It's exciting. 
to work with mothers and let them know like, hey, you're actually investing in your lineage. You are investing in the future of your family by bridging this gap and being able to be that person now. Because now my daughters, they may not have to go take a childbirth education class. They'll come to me. They'll ask me about it. When they're ready to have babies, they know, oh, well, my mom did it at home. Like, hey, mom, what was that like? How special to be able to restructure what's been broken for generations. Right. It does have a huge impact on kids. I remember with my third, I watched birth videos with my older two. I would watch water birth videos. We'd sit down and just watch birth videos together. And it was always home births and stuff. I would say birth is a lot of work. You might hear mommy making a lot of sounds. You might hear mommy saying swears, (laughs) but it's okay. It's just how I get through that hard work. (laughs) And even now my kids are teenagers. And my 16-year-old was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I ever want to have a baby because I hear it just is so painful. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and say it's not painful, but it's not you're getting stabbed painful. It's you have to do a marathon and you're going to feel puking and you're going to feel tired and you're going to feel all this tiny, but you just kind of get through it. Your body knows what to do and you just kind of get through it. It's like functional discomfort. This is functional. Like It's okay. It's functional. Yeah. And the closest thing I can come to describing them because they work out with me, they do CrossFit. You're sore when you're working out. You might be a little bit in pain, hopefully not injured, but it's not like I'm in danger and I'm dying pain. It's wow, this is really hard. It's a lot of work pain. Yeah. And then at the end, how good do you feel after that workout? That endorphin rush, it's amazing. Imagine that times a million (laughs) with oxytocin. You get this massive hormonal reward that's like built in. How cool is that? It's amazing. Right. And if they're watching the birth story with you, you're seeing the woman hooked up with IVs, monitors everywhere. She's laying in the bed with a hospital gown. So you automatically think, oh, something's wrong with her because people who wear hospital gowns are typically sick or something's happening to them. And it's scary just even seeing those images and the doctor comes in like the baby's heartbeat is dropping and it's drama. Whereas if you go to the home birth, you might see your mom rocking slowly with your dad. You might see her moaning, you might see her squatting and then the baby comes out and you're like, oh, that wasn't scary at all. That was kind of nice. Imagine living in a culture where we're not afraid of birth. I can't even, I can't even imagine. It's amazing. And it is so fun. So we're preparing for our third baby right now. And my daughters are four or she'll be four right around the time the baby's born. And then I have a six-year-old. And so we're working together, talking these things through. I've asked them, do you want to be there? My oldest was there when my youngest was born. And so I felt like she would still want to do that again. But the youngest, is this something that you would be interested in seeing? And she says that she is. Just like you were saying, mommy's probably going to make some noises. These are the noises that I made last time. Do you want to make them too? And so sometimes just sitting at the table, she'll be like, when mommy has the baby, she's going to go, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) How cool that it's like, yeah, that actually sounds pretty similar to what it sounded like. I might make that noise. Mm -hmm. Kids are so cool too, because they're just so resilient and also so open to ideas. If we don't scare them with birth, they're not going to think it's scary. I remember with Janie, my oldest, when she saw my second be born, we talked a lot beforehand with her as well. And I talked about noises and then also talked about blood because there could be blood. There could be some blood. There could be a lot of blood after the baby's born. That's normal. That's okay. And after my daughter was born, my oldest Janie was like, hey, where's the blood? There wasn't (laughs) enough blood for her. (laughs) They're just so open. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I remember my oldest because I always start swearing when I start getting to the end of the pushing stage. And I have very fast births. My last was from two hours from first contraction to when I pushed him out. So super fast. And one of the things she said to me was, you said fuck. And as soon as you said fuck, the midwives jumped up and started unpacking all this stuff. And I thought something was wrong. No, they know me because they've taken the time to know me. And also they've been at previous births of mine. And they just know, oh, when she's almost done pushing, she starts swearing. And again, your OB is not going to know that about you. But my midwives know. One night I called my midwife and I said, oh, I'm having contractions. Congratulations. Do you want me to come now? 
I always go into labor and then deny that I'm going into labor. So, nah, I've got some time. I'm going to go take a nap and you can come by later. Well, she parked outside (laughs) the house. She came by it because she knew. She knew. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not waiting. (laughs) I've been at her birth before. She's going to be done in no time. So she just went and parked outside. And sure enough, 40 minutes later, I call her and I'm like, okay, I know I said I didn't want you to come, but I think you should come. And she's like, I'm already here, girlfriend. (laughs) I'm already outside your house. I love that. That's amazing. Right. And I just thought it was so funny. You said, fuck. Everybody went into action. (laughs) They knew. It's like they they know you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about the safety statistics Mm. of home birth because Again, the second you announce that you're having a home birth, people are like, that's so dangerous. You're going to kill your baby and all this other horrible stuff that people say. Is home birth dangerous? And we're specifically talking about in the US because that's where we are. Great. So if we're looking at statistics, no. (laughs) I mean, statistically, it's no less dangerous. Now, this population base was low-risk mothers. So if we're comparing low-risk mothers at home to low-risk mothers in the hospital, And the outcomes were no worse at home than they are in the hospital. In fact, some of those outcomes were much better. So in terms of having a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean, your chances of having a successful VBAC are so dramatically higher at home than they are in the hospital. It's unbelievable. But safety being the focus, there's no difference for home birth mothers versus hospital mothers. Also, I will say episode 59 of the Happy Home Birth podcast, I actually interviewed two midwives and we talked about the safety and we talked about the main things that go wrong. Because what's the question? What if something goes wrong? What do we do? Well, guess what? The answer is not everything explodes and we all are dead. That's not the way that it works. So we talk about the most common events that can happen, a shoulder dystocia, postpartum hemorrhage, and neonatal resuscitation. And hey, guess what, guys? There are plans in action. Your midwife is trained in how to handle these should they arise at home. And I think that that's one of the things that people don't understand. Kind of like you said, when your husband was, what? That seems really scary. I thought she was going to come with incense and stick to bite. That's the image that we have. And when we realize, oh, oh no, they are trained. They do know what they're doing. It's not a joke. It's not just some random person off the street. We realize, oh, there is so much credibility to this. But if you actually just Google MANA, so M-A-N-A, home birth safety statistics, it's one of the first things that pops up. So it'll be easy to find. But you will be able to see the comparison study that they did. And they have a companion article as well that kind of explains the data better. So that is a really great resource. I know a lot of times a spouse is concerned about the safety and that becomes the thing that becomes that point of tension. And so that can be really helpful, especially for the analytical types of people that need some data. That can be really helpful to show. Mm -hmm. Right. Love that. The other thing that really burns my butt is you hear people in midwives saying, you know, I'm a home birth midwife. I'm having home birth. Oh my gosh, that's so dangerous. You're so irresponsible. And then the next day you turn on the news and it's like police officer <laughs> delivers baby on the side of the road. And everybody, oh my gosh, he's a hero. Yay, police officer. First of all, he didn't <laughs> do anything. Most likely all he did was tie a dirty shoelace <laughs> around the umbilical cord, which why are we still telling people to do that? How many germs are on your oh. shoelace? Just don't touch the cord. How about you just don't touch the cord? But they get there. Maybe they'll call an ambulance. The baby comes out. They use their shoelace to tie the cord, which was completely unnecessary and gross. And then maybe throw a blanket over the baby to keep the baby warm. And they're lauded as these heroes. They have no training. They didn't do anything. Nature did it. The mom did it. The parents did it. But the home birth midwives who has all the training and brings all the supplies, they're seen as Mm -hmm. reckless villains. It's such shift in, there's a disconnect there. Yeah, you've got to do some pretty strong mental gymnastics for that to work. Mm. But we do. So many people do. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. But that's dangerous. I know. Okay, so we've established that home birth is not for everybody, but is a good option for low-risk families and that it is safe if you are a low-risk. And that it can be different depending Mm -hmm. on what state you're in, whether who you can have at your birth or how you obtain those Mm -hmm. birth attendants. What about cost insurance? Do you have any information on that? Does health insurance cover home births? Oh my gosh, that is so different. Once again, like we're talking about state to state, things are different. Insurance company to insurance company is so different. 
and what they will pay for versus what they won't. A lot of times I've seen where they'll pay for the prenatal visits, but they're not going to pay for the birth. Silly things like that. Mm. So it can be really frustrating. One thing that's so important to remember, though, is if we're comparing apples to apples, cost of a home birth, cost of a hospital birth. Oh, my word. The cost of a home birth is so much cheaper than the cost of a hospital birth where one Advil Mm -hmm. costs you 75 bucks. It's unbelievable. (laughs) It's ridiculous. So a lot of times we will end up paying out of pocket or some out of pocket if we're giving birth at home. But a lot of times it still ends up being less than what someone pays when they're giving birth in the hospital with insurance. It's silly. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other, (laughs) whole other broken system, right? So Yes, it can be frustrating because on the outside, it may look like, oh, well, that stinks. Home birth is more expensive. It's really not. But the other thing that's really fascinating is if you are working within some type of health share, health share, health savings are two different things, but a health share. So my family is part of, it's called Samaritan Ministries. It's a health share. And it's actually like a Christian organization where we fund each other's medical expenses. So you're paying out of pocket but everyone's pooling things together. It's like an option to choose instead of insurance. Those companies, they almost always pay for home birth 100% because they know it's so much cheaper. We'll just pay for it. You have your birth at home. That's amazing. It's such a mindset thing. It's just so, so strange. Yeah. And I remember arguing with my insurance. I believe my first insurance with my first home birth, they covered prenatals, but not the birth itself. And I remember calling them and being like, okay, because this is what the prices were 16 years ago. My home birth to pay my midwife and everything was about $3,500 at that time. Hospitals, 15 to 25, depending on how many interventions you have and if you had a C-section or whatever. And I remember telling the representative on the phone, so you will not pay $3,500 for me to give birth at home, but you want to pay $15,000 to $25,000 for me to give birth in the hospital. Make it make sense. Make it make sense. And this poor rep was like, I don't make the rules, lady. I just work here kind of thing. And then with my second, they just outright denied it. And I think I called them every week and I emailed them every other week. And I didn't stop until they came back and, okay, we'll pay for half. And it was just to really shut me up. So that's like one tip of advice I give parents. But on the flip side of that, what new parent has the bandwidth and the energy and the time to do that? And that's what they're counting on. Exactly. And one thing that I will say, though, and this is for any of the services that we know to be important, but that can be a financial burden, is asking for support. And so it comes down to like, we've got these baby showers that we do, and some families end up being really extravagant with their gifts of things that you may not even use. And so being able to be upfront and say like, hey, Mm -hmm. I actually am looking for financial support in my home birth. I'm actually looking for support from a doula or for postpartum meals or postpartum housework, whatever it is, being able to be upfront and ask for that support can be really, really helpful. Yep, absolutely. And and that's something I did. My midwife let me make payments. I didn't have to pay the whole fee upfront. So I made payments and then got the money back from the insurance, the half the money anyway. But yeah, absolutely. If you're choosing between your $2,000 baby newborn shoe, and giving birth where you feel safe and where you feel is the right place to give birth to. Yeah. Let's just put that on a scale here. And maybe you don't get the professional photos mm-hmm. and instead you get the home birth. I never got professional photos with my babies because yeah. we just spent money on the birth. Our crib was expensive. It was a very, yeah. very, very expensive laundry <laughs> yeah. for six years. We did not use our crib. I really wish that instead of asking for a crib, I asked for a gift card. A lot of doulas and midwives will do gift cards or gift certificates. I don't think women should be asked to work for free at all, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them are flexible. A lot of midwives and doulas are flexible. Yes. And especially when it comes to payment plans, because they know many of them will make it as accessible as they possibly can and will work with you. But also I like what you said in just changing your perspective, because the other thing that we have to remember is we will remember this. For the rest of our lives. Yes, birth happens in a few hours, maybe a couple of days. It's not over though, because it lasts forever. You ask a 75-year-old what her birth experience was like, she'll probably be able to tell you some pretty minute details. We remember this event forever. And so 
I am willing to invest. However, if I have to go into debt, I'm willing to do that for something that I know is going to stay with me long term and have an impact on my emotions, on my mood, on my perspective of myself in motherhood. And so I feel like when we can take the moment to step back and see this is really more than just a quick little experience, this really does live on, I can get behind the $5,000, $6,000 that it's going to take me to feel supported and most likely prevent trauma or at least provide me with autonomy. Yeah. And your body, your physical health too. Because if you give birth at home and you're low risk, your chances of having to have interventions is a lot lower. And all those interventions have their own risks. Exactly. So the more you can avoid typically, the better. This has been great. And I really want to be respectful of your time. And we're coming up to the end. So if you don't mind sharing where people can find you, what uh, resources and services you offer. Oh, I'd love to. You can just go over to myhappyhomebirth.com. That's my website. I'm on Instagram. That's where I'm the most active. Happy Home Birth Podcast is my handle. And inside of that, you will get links to, I've got the Home Birth Collective is my coaching program where it's group coaching, very, very intimate, in-depth in terms of preparing for motherhood along with home birth. And then Happy Home Birth Academy is a childbirth education program. So not as in-depth as to the motherhood piece, but just hey, this is how we have a successful, empowering home birth experience. And then I have a free mini course as well called Achieve Your Empowering Home Birth. All of those links are on my Instagram, so you can access them there. And I love the post that you have on your Instagram, like you have one on how to choose a midwife. Oh, yeah. So a lot of great follow-up information. If the listeners want to learn more and get more details, I highly encourage you guys to check out her Instagram and connect with her. So thank you so much. This has been Again, something I could go on and on about this, but I won't make you do that. Thank you so much for having me, Shelly. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out more options for support through pregnancy and beyond, including the Baby Pro Bistro, our parenting community. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help our episodes reach more parents like you. Thanks for listening.